Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Hey everybody, today we are in week number two of our series on Calvinism versus Arminianism. Last week we gave a little introduction, we introduced some of the characters in the story throughout history. Today, Ross, we're going to get into TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, which is the acronym that is helpful for understanding five-point Calvinism, and it all starts with T, which stands for total depravity. Now, this is actually the only one of the five that both Calvinists and Arminians kind of agree on. And so maybe we should start with the definition. What do we mean when we say that humans are totally depraved? Right. That's a, that's a great question because there's a lot of things you could assume from that, that phrase. It, it means basically that human beings, um, we once enjoyed perfect fellowship with God. We were in communion. God made us in relationship with him. Uh, but when when human beings fell, their first parents fell into sin, that affected our nature, that our, our human nature became so totally corrupt. We became sinners with a sinful nature. Uh, the idea is that um, the Calvinists would say that we're unable to choose against that nature because the sinful uh, effects are so huge. But uh, the Arminians would say something pretty similar, that humanity was created in the image of God, humanity was created good, but we fell from that original sinless state in the Garden of Eden through willful disobedience that we that left humanity broken, fallen, depraved, separated from God and under the sentence of God's judgment. And so the idea of both sides agree, sin impacts every part of a human being. Sin now, we have a this natural inclination to sin. We're fundamentally corrupt at heart. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody is depraved or as sinful as they could be. Total doesn't mean, you know, you're totally depraved, like everything is, is bad. But it means that it, total means that it affects every aspect of, of human thinking. And it doesn't mean that human beings are not capable of some virtue, of being kind to their neighbor, or to being charitable and generous. But when it comes to our relationship with God and the holiness of God, we're unable to do anything that merits God's favor. We can't save ourselves from his judgment, the, the condemnation of God that we deserve. And so um, so that's really the meaning of total depravity. It's the, the human condition apart from God. Okay, so let me sum it up. So you're saying it doesn't mean we're as bad as we possibly could be. You can always find someone who's more sinful than you are. That's good news. But it does mean that, like you said, Ross, that every part of what makes us us is broken because of sin. So we're talking about things like um, your intellect, your your will, right? Your mm -hmm. ability to make choices, which is kind of a big deal when we're talking about Calvinism and Arminianism. Um, we're talking about things like your, uh, did we say emotions, your relationships, right. your EQ, like yeah. every, your, even your physical body, right? Even our physical bodies are imperfect and marred by sin. Mm -hmm. Right, that's re the reason our physical bodies are going to die someday. God did not create death as part of, of the creation. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's throughout the Bible. It's, it's just, 
Every, it's over and over again. It comes through the Bible in so many different ways. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, You were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And this is all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And we were by very nature subject to God's anger like everyone else. So there's many other verses that we could select, but that gives an idea of what this phrase is trying to get at. Now let's pause for a second and acknowledge that for, you know, maybe for the non-Christian listener or for a listener who's just interested in this topic, or, you know, maybe they're in a small group with some friends and they're not really sure if they buy into this. This is one that I think in American culture, um, I, I think we have to acknowledge that our culture does not agree with this. Our, our culture, would you say, Ross, it's true that our the secular culture in general would say that people are generally good, that people are, that there's, we're, we all have like a divine spark. We're all generally good. We're all, we're all good people. So it's only the corrupting influence. It's, it's, you know, the influence of society or other stuff. In other words, the, the culture would say that, that bad is out there. Evil is out there. The Bible says, well, yeah, that's true that evil's out there, but the reason evil's out there is because evil's in here. I think that's a good way of seeing the way their culture is. So I think people would, would not look at themselves and say, oh, I'm, I'm way, way out of step with God in his holiness. They, they, I'm a pretty good person. You know, God, God likes me. You know, he's got some things that go in for me. Um, and that the, if a person's really evil, they're like a serial murderer. Or uh, they're they're like some kind of a pathologically evil person. That that's the only ones that we would classify as being totally depraved. Uh, whereas really, uh, I think most of us, when we have those moments when we look in the mirror, or when it's quiet and we can actually hear what's going on within our heart, so to speak, within our spirit, um, that we go, oh, yeah, I messed up. Oh, I'm not everything that I th- that I'm pretending to be. Yeah, so human, uh, human nature, our society, maybe even some of our parents are trying to minimize the effect of sin in our lives, look on the bright side, but actually the Bible does the opposite. And not that the Bible is, is just a dark book through and through, but it, this thread of total depravity, total human depravity is from front to back. I mean, you read Ephesians 2 already. Genesis 5 says, or Genesis 6 verse 5 says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So this was like, you know, not very long into the creation story. We're in, we're in the sixth chapter of the Bible. Of course, it all started in Genesis chapter three, when, when Adam and Eve fell, and that's when sin entered the world. And then we're all completely marred. And now in chapter six, we see that God's like, what in the world? It's, it's out of control already. I mean, when I watch the news, Ross, it mm-hmm. looks out of control to me already. Right, for sure. But, but it was out of control at the very beginning. So to me, this is just more proof that that the fall, the fall of man, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, really does mar every human being after that. In fact, some religions teach that we're children of God by nature. Like, for example, Mormonism, we talk about this on our Unveiling Mormonism podcast. 
but that's actually not biblically true. The, the Bible teaches that we're children of wrath by nature, that we need to be adopted into the family of God, that, that we become children of God, and we'll talk about how that happens here in a little bit, but that we have to become children of God because we're not by nature children of God. And again, for a lot of our modern listeners, you might rail against that. You might say, I don't like that. That doesn't sound good to me. I, I, that, that's, that doesn't give me warm fuzzies, but we're not talking about what gives you warm fuzzies. We're talking about what God's word has to say. And surprise, not unsurprisingly, both Calvinists and Arminians agree that God's word is clear on the point that humans are totally depraved. Right, because it is clear, and there's so much evidence there. Now, where they disagree, where they would agree even that to say that God did something about that, that God took some initiative, that God has provided a way for fallen human beings to be forgiven of sin and to be reconciled to God again and to have eternal life with Him uh, for the cure or the remedy of total depravity for our human nature— but, but where they diverge is, is the nature of what it was that God did to um, provide for human sin. Okay, so let's start, Ross, with the Arminians. What, what, what do the Arminians believe that God did in order to solve this sin problem? That, so our, like we said, the Arminians believe that we're totally depraved, which, which means, here's a good way to say it, well, I mean, Paul says it like this in Romans, that we're dead in our sins. So the metaphor is death. We're dead. And dead people can't do anything. So, so in Arminian theology, how, how can a person become saved if the person is dead? Well, that, that raises a great question. And I'm not sure the Arminian perspective totally addresses that particular angle of it. But because the Arminian perspective is that is that God provides grace that allows every sinner to have the opportunity to repent and believe if they choose to do that. Um, so the, the driving force behind Arminian theology is the, na- is the nature of, of the will, that, freedoms ha- that, that human beings have the free will and they can have, actually have the capacity to choose. What drives the Calvinist perspective on theology, by the other hand, is that God is sovereign and that God's choice is what matters. Arminians, human choice matters. Calvinists, God's choice matters. Now, the Bible uh, doesn't always try to unravel the difference between the two. The Bible always presents us that both those matter, that, that God's choice, that God is sovereign and he does what he wants to do. And human beings also are responsible for the choices that they make, and their their choices are significant. You know, so it doesn't fall into either uh, side of the issue. But Arminians and Calvinists tend to emphasize one versus the other. So because Arminians want to emphasize the individual choice, uh, the human freedom, then they believe that God graciously enables the human choice. That God has to. Because human beings are so far from God, they're not even, nobody seeks God, nobody wants to know God, that uh, Arminians say that God has given our, uh, people the choice that um, allows them to make a decision, allows them to understand grace, allows them to be, have the capacity to be able to believe. Um, and so... The Spirit draws people. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, they say, calls people to himself. 
The Spirit enlightens people who are lost and fallen and, and spiritually dead um, so that they can make a legitimate choice to choose salvation. Now, he doesn't force it. The decision doesn't make the decision for them, but he provides the environmental conditions, so to speak, in the spiritual realm to allow that decision to occur. Okay, so let me try to sum this up and, and tell me if I've got this right then, Ross, for, for the sake of our listeners. So both Calvinists and Arminians believe that that we're all totally depraved, dead in our sins. Maybe they might, Arminians might not use that, but that, you know, we, we're, we can't get off the starting line, but in comes God's prevenient grace, this grace that he gives to everybody. So is it right to say that that we were all on the starting line of zero, dead in our sins, but now prevenient grace comes, according to an Armenian, Arminian, and now you have God brings you to the level. He brings you up enough to the level where you have the ability, because of his grace, it's still because of his grace, I think our listeners need to hear that, it's still not your work, right? It's still not your work. It's because of God's grace. God gives everyone, all human beings, is that what they would say? All human beings, prevenient grace. So now we all have a new starting line and we can make a decision for God or not. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's a great way, a way to summarize it. So yes, every person, every human being has the effect of prevenient grace that allows them to say, oh, let's say you're lined up at the at the uh, at the starting line, and everybody in, who's on in the race um, has a broken leg. Well, God gives prevenient grace in the sense that He will like put a splint on the leg, so that we could actually move forward if we want to, if we choose to. So, so it's really a, a physical analogy is limited, but but the idea is really it's a moral or spiritual analogy. That some people said, you know, God throws a rope into the bottom of the chasm, and mm. uh, allows allows us to be able. We can grab the rope if we if we choose to. But another another writer said, well, that's really not as accurate as this. That God pours pours liquid into he, he pours water into the hole, and um, and people who choose to can ride the water up to the top as it fills up. People who don't want to do that will drown. But the water will buoy up and lift up every person to uh, who keeps their head above water. They can they can get their way out of the hole. Okay, so let's look at some scripture. We're sta- we're staying on the Arminian. So for our listeners, we're getting to the Calvinists. We're going to switch this up every other episode, right, Ross? Just to be fair, we're starting with the Arminian perspective. We're gonna we're gonna talk about what the Calvinists think about prevenient grace here in a second. But so some of the scripture that Armenians might look to, um, Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus says, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. How does this tie in for an Armenian? And it says that a person has a choice. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to hint ahead at the idea that um, human depravity is so bad that people don't have a choice. So Calvinists would, would, would say that, the human will is not free because you can never make a choice that's contrary to your nature, which is your nature is to be opposed to God, to be selfish. But, but the Armenian would say, well, this shows that, that people have a choice. They wouldn't let Jesus to protect. Jerusalem and the people there would not allow Jesus to have that role in their life. And so they're, they're saying that, you know, there, there must be a choice that has to be a big part of, a big part of 
the response to human depravity. Okay, so here's another verse, and this is a big one. Everyone's heard this, but let's read this through the eyes of an Arminian, John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So how, how does an Arminian show that this supports their perspective? Well, I think they would say that really what matters is the belief of the individual, that he's laying out a choice to people, believe or don't. And so he's saying that if you believe, then you will not have, a, you will not perish spiritually, but you'll have eternal life. And so he's really bringing it down to saying, oh, this is the free will. This is the free will of the individual that God allows you to have the capacity to believe. And if, if you do, then you have eternal life. Yeah, as you said, again, as people are trying to understand the big picture, so Arminians emphasize human free will. Calvinists say humans don't have free will because of total depravity, so they emphasize God's sovereignty in election. Again, we're going to get into this in the weeks ahead. Those are the two big things that we hold in tension, human free will and God's sovereignty. So that's why this this other one makes our list, John 5, 39. Jesus says, the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. I'm getting pretty good at this, Ross. So what, what an Arminian's going to underline here is the word refuse. Do I have that right? Yeah, exactly. That's the reason they would, they would look to this verse for support for their perspective, because there's a person's choice that's involved. All right, let's do a couple more. John 7, 17, Jesus says, anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or merely my own. Anyone who wants to do the will of God. So you're saying... You're saying that Jesus is, or an Armenian is saying, Jesus is saying that, that you can want to do the will of God, so you can have a desire to do the will of God. So that's a, more of an Armenian verse. Right. And so, and again, to connect the dots to the idea of total depravity is that nobody would possibly want to do the will of God. Nobody would, everyone would refuse Jesus if we were left to ourselves. Without God's intervention, um, then then nobody would believe, that we'd consistently refuse to believe, and, and we would never let God do his work. And so the Arminian is saying that the fact that people, some people do believe and some people are willing to do so and others aren't, it reveals that God has acted in some way with this prevenient grace, that God has acted, the Holy Spirit has acted to give people somehow a freedom to rise above their inherent sinful, uh, rebellious nature. Okay, one more. Acts sixteen thirty one. This is where you know the apostles are sharing the gospel with some people, and and they said, "What what should we do to be saved?" And and the response is, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household." So again, not to oversimplify this, but an Arminian would look at this Ross and say, "This is a real." invitation saying, you have a choice to believe or not to believe. And so an Arminian would take this and say, ah, see, look, this supports our perspective. Right, exactly. That the, the idea that human beings really can pursue God because God provides an assistance to the human will that overcomes the depravity of human nature. Now, um, and we're going to see as we go along, I'm going to try not to anticipate all the ways that this connects into the whole the whole structure of the tulip and the Ar Armenian side of that. 
Um, but it, it, it implies a lot of things that we're going to get into more detail about, like, okay, then if human will, we talked about the sovereignty of God, how does the sovereignty of God then do something? For people, and we'll talk about that more really uh, next next week more than anything. But it does enter in at the very beginning here. Before we move on to talk about the Calvinist perspective, Ross, let's talk about two two important words when it comes to sort of the order of salvation. One is faith, and the other one is regeneration. Now, again, for some of our listeners, that those might be new words to you. Go check check out our Sistio series. We get into this in great detail. We'll put a link to it below. But basically. Regeneration is rebirth, so it's when you get when you become new in Christ, when you're born again, and so faith is. You're, we're talking about a profession of faith, right? So for an Arminian, Arminian would say you profess your faith in Christ, and then you are regenerated. Is that do I have that right in terms of the order of salvation? Yeah, absolutely. They say they would say that faith is the precursor to experiencing salvation. That, that my choice to have faith or my expression of faith, which, which God allows me to have free will, but that faith then is the precursor to everything salvation means, everything that I experience, heaven and forgiveness of sins and, and all the rest, then f- regeneration, as you mentioned, that faith is the first step and all the rest will follow. Well, let me correct that just a little bit, because I think, tell me if this is right, Ross, the first step was God's prevenient grace. Right, that's right. From a human perspective, yeah. First step is God's initiative. That's a great clarification. Yeah, because I think it's important for people to, for everyone to hear that Arminians, as with Calvinists, they believe that, that salvation comes by is a gift of God. It's not your work. So an an Calvinist would say, you know, would debate with an Arminian and say, so you're telling me if faith comes before regeneration, you're saying, you're telling me that someone's profession of faith is the thing that saves them. And it could, again, it could make it sound a little bit like works-based righteousness. Like it's more about human free will than it is about God and his grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great clarification. So actually that makes me think of to give our, our listeners a little bit of a, a tangent here, um, many Calvinists have accused Arminians of being what they call semi-Pelagian. Mm. So we talked about Augustine and uh, last week, and Augustine, one of Augustine's, right, uh, you might say, spiritual um, opponents was a guy his named... Nemesis. Pel- his nemesis was Pelagius, right? So Pelagius basically said that human nature is good, it's perfectible, um, that all human pe- humans don't just, can, they can kind of save themselves if they just act, they have the capacity to do all this. Um, and Augustine said, no, um, no, human nature is depraved and all the rest. And so Pelagius, to, uh, Pelagianism would say that I can save myself, and be right with God on my own works. Semi-Pelagianism, so people, this was a, a Reformation term or a category that historically theologians came up with. This it was is that is simply the idea that the first step toward God is made by the human being, and then God comes along and assists it. Where the Arminian is saying the first step is really God's initiative, and then the human makes the choice. So I don't think Pelag- uh, Arminians are semi-Pelagian at all. But there's a lot of sort of semi-Pelagianism that enters into 
religious culture in America and so forth because of the things you pointed out earlier, that there's this, there's this limited awareness of really how bad human being, the human nature really is. And so that leads us to think, oh, all I got to do is I'll just choose and then God can help me. Yeah, so that's why I think for our listeners, we, again, we're not talking about whether we're not taking a side on Calvinism and Arminianism, but we are taking a side on Pelagi, Pelagi, Pelagianism. Pelagi? Yeah, Pelagianism. Yeah. We're taking a side on that because, again, that's workspace righteousness. So anyone, anyone who says, and, and this will say with great clarity, anyone who says that salvation is because of us, that we save ourselves, that salvation hinges on us, then I think you're missing the core tenet of the Bible that we're saved, that God saves us through Jesus Christ because of our faith. So again, to say that faith is is all up to you is that we're not saying that faith is all up to you. Uh, an Arminian is not saying that. An Arminian is saying God's prevenient grace pulls us off the starting line of zero death, and it gets us to a place where we can make a meaningful choice for or against God, okay? And that choice, that confession of faith, when you respond to God's calling on your life and you hear the gospel and you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're regenerated, then you're reborn, et cetera, et cetera. So again, an Arminian, a Bible-believing Arminian would not say that, that we're saved because of our choice. An Arminian would say we're saved because of God's grace, and now we made a choice because of his grace. Again, I think it's really important for everyone to hear that, um, because otherwise you're definitely stepping into error. Right. Now, Calvinists do tend to put the idea of belief, uh, we'll talk about this in a minute, I think, but we'll see the idea that, that belief then becomes something meritorious or something worthy of the person, and so Calvinists have some skepticism about whether that belief really does become a meritorious work or whether it becomes something um, virtuous about the person. Uh, but I think Arminianists would say, no, faith is just simply a response to what God has done. Okay, so let's talk about Calvinists now. All right, all right so Calvinists believe in total depravity, but the difference is they don't believe in this idea of prevenient grace, that God gets everyone off the starting line and we have this new starting point now, they would say, nope, no, that doesn't happen. You are totally depraved and there's no, there's no changing it um, except for, for the elect. Well, Calvinists believe that human nature is so corrupt that the only way that God can actually bring anybody to believe the gospel is that you know, God, it doesn't, and it's not enough for God to just kind of help or make it possible, but God has to completely change a person's nature. So, it, so basically, you started by quoting Ephesians 2 about dead in, or I didn't you, and you commented on that about dead in trespasses and sins. I think, I don't know how Arminians think about that. They must think of, of it as metaphorical or a, or a description of how incapable human beings are. I think Calvinists probably look at that as pretty it's pretty literal, spiritually speaking. And so the dead, so Arminians maybe have the starting line. You have a bunch of, a bunch of in, uh, incapacitated people lined up. Calvinists look at the starting line and say, you've got a bunch of corpses lined up. And there's nothing you could do to help the corpse um, to move along. You know, you can't like give the corpse a scooter. 
or you know crutches or whatever to move along. The only thing that can help the corpse from the Calvinist perspective is that they just need to be made alive, resurrected. And so that's the action of God. The action of God for the Arminian is prevenient grace that's given to everybody. The action of God for the Calvinist is that God takes some and just makes them alive. And not everybody, but that's we'll talk about that next week, but that some are just made alive. And the idea that Calvinists have is that the, the human will is really not free. And it's the human will is in bondage to the uh, human nature. And so that nature is so corrupt that human beings never really could choose to do good or never, never really could choose to believe or obey or, or follow, um, you know, follow God. And so back to your point earlier about the order of salvation, for the Arminian, belief starts before regeneration. But what we're saying here is that for the Calvinist, regeneration is the very first thing. The very first thing, that, you know, we said before, the very first thing is God's prevenient grace for the, Arme- for the Arminian that leads to belief. But here we're saying for a Calvinist, the very first thing is this act of regeneration that makes a dead person alive, that gives spiritual life. And then the person is now able to choose to believe. So does that make sense, the difference between the two? Okay, so yeah. So how would, how would let's go back to some of those verses we shared for the, from the Arminian perspective. So like how would a Calvinist uh, talk about John 3.16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, again, an Arminian says, see, look, he's saying whoever believes in him that anyone can believe in him is probably maybe how an Arminian would say it, how they would view that. How would a Calvinist view that important verse? Right. The Calvinist would say that that's totally true, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But the, but the caveat would be, why does a person believe? The person will only believe if they've been made alive. And so their person who's made alive then certainly will uh, believe. And so, yes, they will have eternal life. Okay, so what about Acts 16.31, where the, the apostles tell the people they're sharing the gospel with, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. How can, I'm playing the devil's advocate here, or the Arminian's advocate here. How, <laughs> how, could, they, how could you even say something like that if they, if they could only believe if they're elect? Yeah, that's a great question, because the Calvinists would believe that the gospel still has to be preached. Because you see it in the, in the whole Bible. You see, like Paul saying to the Philippian jailer and his family, the gospel still has to be preached. We don't know. Nobody knows who um, has been made alive by God. So they, who has the capacity then uh, to believe? And so this is preached to people who I don't know if they're, if they're chosen by God or not, but they might be. And if they are, then they will have the capacity to believe. And they don't okay. know if they are or not. They don't know. It's not, it's not like somebody says, well, okay, forget that because I'm not really elect, so forget what you have to say. And the other person says, oh, I, I'm chosen. Oh, I, I'm going to believe then. No, it's just simply that the person who is chosen or, or one of God's uh, you know, uh, elect for salvation, then they will believe. And so, But the only way they're going to believe is if the gospel is presented to them. So God uses the means of the preaching of the gospel to 
draw out the elect and to bring them to uh, saving faith in Christ. Okay, then let's go to John seven seventeen. So let me try this now, Ross. Let me. I'm starting to think like a Calvinist today. All right, here we go. Jesus said, anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or merely my own. So a Calvinist is essentially reading it like this. Anyone who wants to do the will of God must be elect. And those are the ones who will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Do I have the right sense here? Yeah. yeah. So there's a bit of, a bit of reading between the lines, you know, <laughs> right. um, but, uh, but there is but kind of on both sides. But the point is, you can't want to do the will of God. And Jesus even would know this. If Calvin, if Jesus was a Calvinist, which is a, kind of a, I'm joking when I say that. Um, but G, if Jesus knows that there is a, that there are those who are elect and those who aren't elect, when he's saying this, he's saying it knowing that only the elect will want to do the will of God because the Everyone else is depraved, totally depraved, and unable to want to do the will of God. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Nailed it. I think it's because God called you to think that way. He, he chose you before the foundation of the world <laughs> to think that way. It is interesting, by the way. You mentioned this, Ross, that you know that when the apostles are sharing the gospel, or when even when we share the gospel today, even a Calvinist, you're not sharing Calvinism. Correct. You're sharing the gospel. I think everyone needs to hear that. That's a great point. Good biblical Calvinists are not, they're not just trying to convert people to Calvinism to a certain particular perspective. You're you're probably not diving into this particular topic, you know, week one with somebody that you're sharing the gospel with. You're just because none of the disciples did that in the in the Bible, they're just sharing the simple, basic gospel, which is all about Jesus and coming to faith in Jesus and trusting him for salvation. Again, a Calvinist is thinking, I'm going to put this out and it's not going to really land for people who don't have ears to hear it, who don't, who can't, who don't have the capacity to hear it because they're not elect. But the ones who will have the capacity, the ones whom God has chosen, will hear it, and that's why I'm sharing the gospel with everybody. Yeah, so that, that's, you're right. So the outward behavior is going to be the same. And in fact, Ivo said that people, the good Calvinists and good Arminians, people who really understand their perspective, they're going to look a lot alike in terms of how they actually live out the, the gospel and live out the, the Christian faith. Okay, so... so uh, an Arminian believes that it's kind of like God's assistance in bringing a sinner to Christ, but a Calvinist really believes, oh, no, it's so much more than that. It is a divine act of regeneration. It is a, a, an extreme thing. So again, highlight the sovereignty of God, highlight the grace of God, the goodness of God. But of course, Ross, as we highlight the grace of God toward the elect, and this is the other side of it, then what about the non-elect? You know, an American, like a new listener is hearing this saying, this is really rubbing me the wrong way because now I'm getting a picture of God. Like, why doesn't he just elect everybody? Isn't he a nice guy? Doesn't he want everyone to be saved? Why doesn't he elect everybody? Yeah. Actually, I'm going to defer on that one because we really do. We'll cover that one next time. And so I don't want to steal our thunder. Uh, but it's a great question. that It does lurk out there. It is a natural question that people are going to ask. And uh, but we're gonna when we talk about God's election, really that's the theme of our next episode, mm -hmm. and so we can dig in on that one. I think uh, when we have the context to understand that idea of election. Yeah. So for listeners who are being exposed to the, for the first time to this I, these ideas, and especially the ideas of Calvinism, 
can tend to rub uh, the average American Christian the wrong way. So again, you got to listen to every one of these episodes. You got to give God a fair chance here or give Calvinists a fair chance here even um, because uh, nobody's coming to this saying, this is what I want to believe. Calvinists and Arminians are coming to this. Hopefully they're coming to this saying, this is what I believe scripture says. This is, this is the most faithful way to understand that this idea of the interaction between free will and God's sovereignty. And so those who lean toward the Calvinist side, it's because they read these passages we're talking about, and they're convinced that these passages align, align more with Calvinists and then vice versa for the Mm -hmm. Arminians. Right. For sure. And so, you know, we're going to see that throughout the series. And um, and I think underlying this is the idea, it might be tempting to think, well, then the Bible must just contradict itself. But we're really going to say, no, these are, we're looking at two sides of, of a coin. Again, I mentioned one side of the coin is, is God's sovereignty. The other side of the coin is human responsibility. And the Bible never really tries to give us a a way to pull all that together. There's not like one passage or one verse that says, oh, here's the here's the answer. So whenever the Bible presents the one, then, you know, it's it's there. And, we're, and then it presents the other one in other places. So it's left up to us to try to figure out as best we can. There's a sense of God's infinite understanding. There's a sense that God is just greater than us because our understanding is limited. Our brains, you know, only have so much capacity. And so God is going like, no, there's more than, than you can grasp, but, but I'm going to tell you, like, this is how it works. And, and, and so in practice, then we can adopt both of those perspectives and say, you know, they're not, they're not contradictory from each other, but they, but they do um, stretch our brain maybe beyond what, what we can just simply adopt. And so, so we're going to say we're going to hold them in tension. They're truths that are in tension. Just there's a lot of truths in tension in the scientific world. Like, is light um, a particle or is it a wave? Sometimes you measure it, it's a particle. Sometimes you measure it, it looks like a wave. And science would say, well, there's something going on that, that there's something bigger than we can comprehend there that we, we say it's both. And so we're going to say human responsibility, divine sovereignty, they're both in the picture. We're just trying to figure out what's the most sensible way to explain all that, from which perspective are we going to come. So let's look at some more scripture that a Calvinist would really keep in their back pocket when it comes to total depravity. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6, it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much, and the us are the elect that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead, there it is again, total depravity, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. Right, so the idea is there's simply that the problem is so serious that a, a spiritual resurrection or a spiritual remaking of our nature is really the only thing that could solve it. Or John three nineteen, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. Now, Ross, I read that one. I'm like, well, I think an Arminian wouldn't disagree with that. So how would a, how would a Calvinist see that maybe differently from an Arminian? Well, a, a Calvinist would say 
this this shows what's going to go on in people's lives that 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 human beings are so um, far from God that they're just going to love darkness they're going to love evil and so really then the question is what's the remedy to that is is empowering the human will is that enough because people are just going to love their darkness even if they can choose Romans 3:10 through 12 says as the scriptures say no one is righteous not even one no one is truly wise no one is seeking god all have turned away all have become useless no one does good not a single one so this is you know calvinist again saying look we're all totally depraved every single one of us is totally depraved of course romans as you, we're going to be studying a lot of romans throughout this series because so much of this we're going to be finding in these chapters beyond chapter three, but this is the total depravity setup, right? That the Calvinists are going to build off of. Right. The fact, the, the, the idea that um, it's just impossible for human beings to overcome their old nature, um, apart from not just the work of God, but apart from a radical work of God. They, they would say, you just have to go beyond prevenient grace. Okay, one more. And I, and let's look at this last one through the eyes of both an Arminian and a Calvinist. So 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, it says, Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. This is Paul writing to his understudy, Timothy. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. So again, I could see both Calvinists and Arminians saying, no, this one supports my point of view. So walk us through that real quick. Right. So I think that Arminian would see that God's at work in that person's life. And, and, and God can make it possible for them to not stop opposing the truth through instruction. Um, God can make it possible for them to come to their senses and escape the devil and so forth. I think the, the Calvinists would say, because this is in going to be understood in in light of a lot of other scripture. The Calvinists would say, well, here's the key thing is that it's going to take God to actually change these people's hearts. It's not, God's not going to just kind of give them the truth and hope that they, that they accept it or that they, he's not going to just kind of uh, provide the means for them to maybe come to their senses if they choose it, but they'll say God is going to have to actually change that person's heart in order for them to learn the truth. So Ross, for people who are listening to this, you know, we're two weeks into this six-week series, and there maybe there are some listeners who are saying, I, this is the first time I've really thought about the fact that I am depraved, that, that human depravity reaches and touches me. Because right, we're saying that no matter how you slice it, both sides agree this is definitely in the Bible. So maybe we can end this, uh, this episode with, I don't know, some helpful advice to the person who just learned about their total depravity. Well, sure. I mean, it, it is something that often we sense it. We come, the wheels come off in life. There's times when we just go, man, I just wish something would change inside me. I've been trying to be a different person and not happening. Um, we're, part, we're far from God because of that. Um, and so we're not gonna we're not gonna pursue God on our own, but maybe the Holy Spirit is working in you today to draw you toward Himself, whatever whatever way that He's doing that. You know, whatever the understanding of how He's doing that is that um, 
people, lost people, need to know what God has done. And, and that's hearing, that's the gospel, what Jesus has done for them. Because nobody will be forgiven uh, without hearing about Jesus as an atoning work. And so we just want to make sure that our listeners really understand what this is all about is what Jesus did on the cross, that he was sent by the Father. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He didn't have a problem of depravity at all, not even an iota of depravity. And he came in his perfection, and he was able on the cross to, to bear our sins in our place, to make us right with God, to, to reconcile us with God. Now, who's the us? Well, that's the debate. But if the Holy Spirit is drawing you, then maybe that us is you. And so you're going to have to consider, what will I do with that message, with that hopeful good news? Will I trust in Jesus uh, to experience the forgiveness of my sins? Will I turn to him and, and cast my, my hope on what he's already done for me? And then ultimately, you know, the thing is, well, we might look back and say, well, I don't know if I, I don't know if I was elect. I don't know if I'm not elect. I don't know who out there is, is elect or maybe nobody's elect and, and all of us have, have a choice. But right, right now, it's your choice. And, um, you know, you're going to follow Jesus. If God is leading your life, then you're going to follow Jesus. And you need to. And you should because that's the answer. That's the remedy for the problem of our, of our brokenness. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us. When you do that, that way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.